And here we are back again for season two. And season two is going to be a little different than season one. Number one, it's going to be warmer because you're going to hear more from us. Yeah, and really, that's what this is about. It is about having an actual discussion about these things. So I, I think this is only going to be stars and glitter going forwards. Well, glitter, I'm all in for the glitter. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. <laughs> Let's get this show on the road. Welcome to Supernatural Circumstances, the podcast where we take you down the rabbit hole into the enigmatic world of the strange, the paranormal, and the unknown. I'm Morgan Knutson. And I'm Mike Brown. It's time to dim the lights and settle in. Come along with us on this week's adventure. So what is this week's adventure, Morgan? Oh, this week's adventure is a good one. Oh? And this case is one that many people in the paranormal field or who enjoy the the stories of the paranormal are probably familiar with. And that is the Sally House. The Sally House. The Sally House. And what's exciting about this case for me is that there's a lot of lessons and deep dives that we can do in and around this case that I think haven't been addressed over the last number of years that this is has been researched and looked at. So this is really exciting for me because this is a case that is terrifying. It's unnerving and it's got all the hallmarks of probably one of the most famous haunted houses in America. Okay. So tell me about the Sally house. Where is it? What is it? What is going on there or what has happened? So the Sally House is a house in Atchison, Kansas, and it was built in the mid 1800s. But This was really interesting because this case involves an entity that kind of made itself known as a little girl by the name of Sally. Mm -hmm. And when the family, the eventual family, the Pickmans moved in to the home and started interacting with this entity... What they saw was this curly-haired, sweet little girl. But the behavior of this little girl, well, it didn't really make itself known as a little girl. It was hyper-aggressive, biting, being violent. And it was probably one of the most terrifying cases in parapsychology that has been been known to, to the field. Is this recent? This is This took place... In, well, I, I recent in terms of, of paranormal. I mean, we were here. We were looking at a case that went from you know the the 1800s all the way through the 90s mm-hmm. um, when sightings stepped in and the the show sightings that probably many of our audience is going to remember. Um, and they took a look at this case to to figure out exactly what was going on by bringing in a colleague of mine, uh, Carrie Gaynor, who's mm-hmm. a, an amazing parapsychologist. Cool, and uh, we have a guest today, apparently. We absolutely do. And that is Denise Pridemore. Now, she was the docent or basically host or or tour guide at the Sally House after the Pickmans had left. So she's got some really interesting stories as well and might help shed light on what was going on in the house at the time. That sounds really cool. And uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation with her. Oh, it's a good one. Denise, first of all, thank you so much for being here today with us because I've really been looking forward to to chatting with you. This is it's really cool. Um, you were a tour guide with 
the the Sally House and what they call a docent. Uh, could, could you explain that a little bit? Yeah. Well, one day we, uh, my kids had gotten me this lovely book and said, "Hey, mom, here's a, a haunted book. I know you see spirits and you like this stuff. So here, you know, uh, here's your book." And it was about it was from Deb and Tony Pickman, you know, their book on the Sally House, and my kids knew I had an interest because. There was, you know, I saw it on a haunting, I saw it on sightings, and every time it would come on, I would have to watch it. And so we decided one July, we went up for a trolley tour. They have haunted and historical trolley tours up there. And where we lived at the, you know, when I was watching all this stuff, we lived in Kansas City, Missouri. We didn't have a computer. You know, this was in the 90s, you know. <laughs> you know, not everybody had a computer. I remember that. <laughs> and you couldn't just look it up and find out where everything was. Mm-hmm. And we were on the tour, and I have a book about called Haunted Atchison. And I'm taking notes, and I taped everything that was said. You know, I had a little digital recorder, and I taped everything that was said, and I soaked it in. And my husband's going, okay, so what do you know? And I'm, I don't know what I know yet. You know, I I don't. So we go through the whole tour and we come up on the house, the Sally house. And I look at my husband, I go, that's not what it looked like on a haunting. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Isn't that the way? Hey? Yeah, I was really disappointed. Um, and then they start telling the story uh, about a doctor who had lived in the house and that some kid died from a little girl died from a botched appendectomy. And I'm like, well, that's not what they said on a haunting. Um, And that's not what it says in, you know, this, you know, in this article I read or this article. And I mean, so my eyes were crossing in my, you know, I was going, whatever, I'm having a brain fart now, you know, going, what is all this stuff? And so they didn't have tours of the Sally House at that point. They didn't start until after Labor Day. So in September that year, we went back for a daytime tour and we're walking around and there's little signs on the wall. A paranormal team said, a paranormal team said, um, this mm. was in Deb and Tony's book. And I'm like, okay. So again, my my eyes are crossing and I'm, and I'm thinking really way harder than I should. And suddenly I go into the kitchen and there's a sign, you know, on the door and a rope across, a rope across it saying, First off, do not cross the line. Um, And then it said, a woman fell to her death down these stairs. And it hit me at that moment in time. I can prove that. I can prove whether or not that happened. I am going to find out about this. And so at the time, like I said, your tour, there were no tour guides. There were just people who were standing around making sure that you didn't go across the ropes into the dining room, across the ropes into the nursery, use the bathroom, down the stairs to the basement. That was basically all that there was. And, you know, so it was a self-guided tour. It And they had a, a horrible movie on TV that was created by the people of Atchison for the beginning of the movie for, for Robbie Thomas on the Sally House. And and it's horrible. It makes the doctor look like he's who like he was a horrible drunk doctor, <laughs> you know. And wow. so I'm watching all this, and I'm going, "This is horrible." And I looked at my husband. And I said, "We we're coming back next weekend." So we went back the following weekend, and I brought every piece of equipment we had. We didn't have a lot, 
but we brought every piece of equipment we had because it was only $10 a person. It was cheap. You know, so we go back, we make friends, we teach a bunch of kids how to use dowsing rods and, and all this. You know, this is just us being us. You know, we like to be people's spirit guides in liquor stores and haunted houses. It, <laughs> it works out. And um, so we, you know, we have a good time helping people and all this stuff. And we're walking out the door and I look at my husband. I said, now I got to figure out a way to get in here for free. I can't pay for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I go to work on Monday and I look up, how do I volunteer? And how does the place that I volunteer for get money for me volunteering? And the, the Atchison Chamber of Commerce is who operates all the, the tours up there. And all their 5013C goes to education. And I did, did a bunch of research and found out that 75% of the children in Atchison were on some kind of government assistance. And it's like, I got a good cause. Wow. I said, I said, my company will give $1,000 every six months for any 40 hours that I volunteer. My husband's company will give $600 a year for him to volunteer. So basically, our companies paid Atchison to let us volunteer <laughs> the next year. Oh. Wow. And so we did That's that. That's brilliant. So we did that. And so we were probably the only people there that didn't get paid. You know, we were driving the furthest and we weren't getting paid for anything. Um, and if people would give me tips, I would put it in the jar for the for education. So at the at the chamber. So I never made a dime off of any of it. Um, we did. So they had us come in and for seven years we did the tours. So when um, we've had we had three different bosses while we were there. And uh, but every week. I would spend, I don't know how much time researching the Sally house or something else I found or, or whatever happened. And they had given us a script to read, um, to answer questions. And it was horrible. I mean, it was. So I said, do I have to follow this? And they said, no, but if you come up with any good information, go ahead and share it. So I have a book that's about four inches thick with thousands of pages of things that I found in newspapers, directories, um, about the the Finney family, about who lived in any of the houses that the Finneys owned. Um, and the Finneys were the original owners. The original builder of the house was M.C. Finney. Right. And he died in the house. Um, he was the first death in the house. And uh, he was actually one of the te- founders of the town. I mean, they, they leave this out. You know, he's huge in town. He was also one of the first, uh, sh- not sheriffs, but um, kind of like a sheriff back then. And uh, he actually owned the Outfitter store. So basically, you're currently you're moving in storage <laughs> type stuff. Right. That's what he was. So when you came across the Missouri River, this is back when it was wider than it is now and not as okay. deep. Um, you'd come across the river right there in Atchison and you would come across his outfitter shop and that's where you would get everything that you needed to go west on the, uh, well, here we call it Santa Caligon, um, Santa Fe, Oregon, or California trails, whichever one you were going on. So, gotcha. so and this is just in around the same area that uh, Lewis and Clark actually landed as well. Oh, wow. So lots of history. It's huge. So tell us about the Sally House. Uh, for for the folks who do, aren't aware of it, what 
happened there? How did it start? So it started as any other house. Les Smith and his brother bought the house uh, in 1993 and turned it, well, it was already a rental home. And that's a long story too, but they turned it into a rental home and people were looking for a place to live. And Deb and Tony Pickman decided they wanted to live in this little house. It was down the street from Tony's family. Um, Tony's born and raised in Atchison. Deb, Deb is not. She's from New York. And so this was a nice little house with, uh, you can see the little nook of the river from it. And it's actually right across the street from a big mansion. Uh, the Glick Mansion right across the street is is beautiful. So you've got these little bungalow houses alongside these, these huge mansions. It's really strange, to be honest. <laughs> and yeah. um, But it was the right size house for a couple that was married and pregnant and, you know, expanding their family to be in I mean, a little three-bedroom, 1,200-square-foot house. Um, little did they know that there was something something was going to start happening to them. Uh, nobody ever reported any paranormal activity in the home prior to this. There are people that after the fact came out and said, oh, yeah, we had all kinds of it. You can't prove it now. It's too little too late. Mm-hmm, um, sure. I mean, I ran into people in Weston, Missouri one time telling me, yeah, my, my brother lived there and they had this. And I was like, why didn't they come out? Yeah. Beforehand, why didn't they say something? But but yeah. yeah, so the Pickmans lived there 18 months. And you know, a lot of people thought that they owned the house. No, it was just a rental. Um and while living there at one point in time, you know, they had all these things happening, candles burn, you know, candles with wax going up as opposed to down. Um toys being tossed across the room toys being lined up strangely in fact the toys being lined up in the nursery in a circle they thought that tony's brother had come in and pranked him and got out which you can't do that in that house the stairs are very steep and carpeted they were carpeted then as well you'd fall down them stairs there's and you can hear everything i mean from the basement to to the bedrooms you can hear everything throughout the house so there was no way he could have snuck in and snuck out and that was this thing that really got him is you know what's going on here you know they dealt with that they had a medium come in her name was barbara connor she happened to be an atchison so barbara connor comes in and she tells them you know that they have a little girl in their house and proceeds to tell her that her name is sally and don't know how they got the the IE spelling versus the Y spelling. I don't remember mm. that either. But she tells her all this stuff, tells her treat her like a member of the family. And you know, and if you talk to Deb, she'll she always tells you everybody, I wanted to have a paranormal experience. I wanted this so bad. Yeah. And you know, so how much of its intent? Tony, on the other hand, had Okay, through personal conversations that we've had, he had gotten involved with Ouija boards and other stuff in town. And of course, you have a town where the people have been talking about it being haunted since before 1994. Okay. Well, and Tony too had a had an experience. I know when he was young that uh, Deborah described in her book that was where he said um, he was terribly frightened by the appearance of some sort of an entity uh, peering out at him uh, from his bedroom closet. So like he had he had a, a history with this stuff as well prior. Mm-hmm um in 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 the same way and it was like you were saying just you know a week into them moving in 
stuff started to go on. Right. Tony personally, I've investigated with him. I didn't know him until April 2015. The only thing I had to go on was their book experiences, what they had mm -hmm. put in the book, which the book is only half. The book that Deb wrote is actually much bigger than the book that we all get to see on the shelf. So who who was Sally? Long story short, nobody knows. Yeah. So there so at one point in time there was a lady in town. She was an African American woman who she was not a slave, but she was a servant. She hmm. she actually worked at the Glick Mansion. And her name was Sally. And she was a 32-year-old woman who'd had many children and had um lost a baby just a few days before she died. Well, about a month before she died. And she she has two obituaries, which I find odd. And in both obituaries, it has her living at a different place. She was married, but it's quite possible that this Sally we, I found was Dr. Finney's patient. Yeah, there was about there was a, a number of Sallies. I know uh, in in Deborah's book that that they had mentioned that there was a number of Sallies. But I what I find with with cases like this, as somebody's been has been doing this for a while, um, is that entities like this seem to be able to pull information from the sort of the energetic field of the house. And what I what I find really interesting, specifically about this case, was that. None of the whatever the entity was presenting, none of it seemed to line up. No. Like when it said, "This is oh, I'm a seven year old girl," except the apparition that shows up looks about five. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, I'm a poor little girl. Well, the apparition that shows up looks very wealthy, and it, it was it was really interesting to see the dynamics of what the entity was presenting versus what the entity was. Um, what was actually doing, you know, like biting, scratching, setting fires, and this, that, mm -hmm. and the other thing, which doesn't line up with it being. The, the spirit of a, of a of a dear little girl right. that, you know, is missing a family. There's a lot of theories, um, things that I witnessed. I was being pushed downstairs. I was being scratched. Jeez. I was being, I was being harassed. I was followed home. Um, I had spirits in my house all the time. I had something in my house that I can only describe as, as a demon. Um, yeah. And I have drawings of it that I had done based on, I mean, I got up that morning and, you know, wrote it all down and sent it to my local, my local sketch artist. <laughs> Everybody has one of them. Um, but, you know, so I sent it to, to him and, and he called me and he goes, I don't know if I want to tell you what this is. And I was like, I said, it doesn't matter. I said, I know what it looked like and I know what it was, but, Long, the 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 biggest thing is there is no proof of Sally, zero. Um, I went through every death record in that part of Kansas and Missouri, and they yeah. started keeping death records in 1905 in Kansas. And so I went through all of those. I went through every single newspaper in the area, whether it was Atchison. Atchison at one time had like ten different newspapers, um, and. So I went through those. I went through the Wyandotte County and and all. That. I mean, I live in the area, so it's easy enough for me to get sure. all kinds of information. I even ordered, um, I even ordered some birth certificates and and stuff from people who were from up there because once they're dead, they don't care. Again, a lot of the different things that have occurred in the house, you know, that I witnessed 
personally was, you know, I had a fold-up chair in the basement thrown across the room more than 12 feet from the wall to near where I was over by the, by the, um, furnace. Um, there are lots of misconceptions about the house, like the hole in the wall in the basement is because there was a tunnel between that house and either house on either side. And it's like, no, that hole is there because they had to put in heating and cooling. You know, they had to break out the basement. There's rumors that the family lived in the basement while they were building the house. And it's like, why would they do that? They had money. They had a shop. You know, did you not see Little House on the Prairie? You know, they lived where they worked. Um, One of the other things is, is there are Indian burial grounds, both to the north and south of of Atchison. But one of the most interesting things was the Kansas Indians, that's what they were called, Kansas, K-A-N-S-A. Mm-hmm. They they were in the area, but they were gone before Lewis and Clark got there. And the last of the Kansas died about 10 years ago. It's an oral history, but I interviewed a few of the people um, that were related to that. And they said, yeah, this was fertile ground. Don't know why. There were buffalo. There were all kinds of stuff. Why did they leave here? And Interesting. So you think there might be a connection there between the history of the land and what was going on with the house? Um, as far as I'm concerned, a lot of times I would be standing in the house giving a spiel of, you know, here's what we know. I always did facts and I gave them the legends and said, you can believe what you want to believe, but these are the facts and this these are the legends. And I would be standing there and... I would see this sentry in the yard. And my husband goes, well, can you describe him? I go, yeah, he's a very proud man. I said, but he doesn't have feathers. I said, it's obvious he's Native American. And of course, on Ghost Adventures, I said Indian and had all kinds of people get mad at me. But I'm also Cherokee and Blackfoot. So I don't feel offended. If I don't feel offended by my heritage, why should anybody else? But that's a whole different problem. <laughs> um, but I'm standing there and I'm seeing seeing him out there. And my husband goes, well, what's he look like? I said, he is standing kind of looking more out towards the river than towards the house, you know, with, with his arms crossed. He's standing very stout, like he's watching something. I said, that's why I say he's a sentry. And he's, does he change? And I go, Every once in a while, he looks this way. I said, but he also looks the other way. So kind of like he's watching. And I don't know why he's there. He never spoke. He never communicated in any way to to let me know. But if people would take pictures in the spot where I would see him, they would get like a mist, a swirly mist in just that spot. The rest of the year, every place else was clear as a bell but not the spot. That's really interesting. You mentioned something at the beginning that I I, want to get back to because I I think you hit on something that was so profound in regards to this case and and cases that are are very similar. And that was the the energy and intention that was going into into this case. And I because I think a lot of people, when they read about a case like this, they think to themselves, you know, oh my God, how does this, how did this happen? How did, you know, could this happen to me? You know, it's, that's the question that keeps everybody's nightlight on. And I, I think you hit on, on the intention at the beginning, which was, um, you know, that intent to, to have a, a paranormal experience. Um, and what I found really interesting, uh, over, over the, the course of reading 
this specific book was that Deborah talked about uh, a dysfunctional situation, the chaos in her life before she moved into into this house, uh, and then of course Tony's issues with the the paranormal had not been fantastic. Um, and what I find really fascinating about about this case and a pattern that I see with many many others is that sometimes this paranormal stuff has a habit of reflecting the emotional state that you've got going within you. And not that there's it's fault or blame or, or anything like that, because it isn't. But it's it's interesting that typically the people that have experienced that dysfunction that are still in that turmoil and then are intending to move into the paranormal field, it tend to have really disruptive experiences. And so I thought your point on intent was was really interesting. It's, like I said, we don't know. I mean, there, with there being no known past history, um, Mrs. Anderson, who owned the house prior to um, the Smiths buying it and, and making it their owned rental house, she she lived there before she went to the nursing home and it became a rental house for her. Um, she said she never had anything happen. And her family, her husband actually got into a altercation. Her husband was Dr. Anderson. He got into an altercation with, with Dr. Finney long time, long time before that. In fact, it's all drawn out in a newspaper article about them getting into a fight. And so they ended up buying the house from the Finney family. I thought, I always thought that was funny that, you know, they, everybody talks about, you know, a doctor lived in the house. Well, technically two doctors and a doctor's wife you know <laughs> if you get if yeah. you get you know because you have dr charles finney uh the elder who lived there and then his son lived there who was also a doctor but his son died before he did well and there was a lot of red flags in this case as well mm -hmm. like when the the you know the their young baby uh taylor was uh, waking up and and having trouble, and then there was there was instance uh, that, that Deborah wrote about as well about uh, her her cats reacting very very early and the animals reacting as well. Can you can you talk about that at all? So there are a couple different things there. One of the things that I found odd when I was I talked to Tony and Deb about this um, because in the book they talk about the cat and right. and the kitchen. And he had gotten home from work, which he still works for the same place, by the way. <laughs> he, oh, wow. he still he still works there. And uh, he comes home and he goes to bed and Deb went out for the for the morning and he hears. Sounds like she's got tennis shoes in the dryer and the, the washer and dryer at that point was in the kitchen. Um, they did not have a laundry room area, so it's all in the kitchen. And you hear bump, 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 bump. Bump, 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 bump. And he doesn't think nothing of it, just thought it was kind of rude that she would have to dry tennis shoes right then and there while he was trying to sleep because, you know, he slept days. And he comes, you know, later on that day, he says to Deb, you know, you know, that was really, you know, why did you, why did you dry the tennis shoes right then? She, he goes, I, I was trying to sleep and it kept me up. And, you know, he was already having trouble sleeping because of, all the haunt, you know, all the stuff that's going on. And she goes, I didn't put any tennis shoes in there. And when they get in there, they start pulling it out and there's rust colored stuff all over their clothes. And that's when they found that the cat had been put in the, in the dryer and killed 
but not by them. Yeah, it's horrifying. You know, so it was odd. We've actually had, you know, we were giving a tour. Um, we did this thing called the Haunted Hop, where people would come in and they would, we would take them on a bus, on a trolley tour, and then we would take them to two places to investigate. And we had them in the Sally house. And I saw this one woman's skirt go by the way of a cat's tail. You know how a cat rubs up against somebody? Sure. I saw that happen two or three times. I had one lady tell me um, down in the basement, she was sitting there doing, um, we were doing some kind of session. And all of a sudden she goes, she jumps. And she said, because she had it on blindfolds, so you couldn't see anything. And she she's at, sitting there acting like she's petting a cat on her lap. We, you know, nobody, all wow. you can see is her hand petting a cat, but there's no cat. Wow. Um, so there are some, some history with animals there with the Pikmins. I mean, he even talks later on in the book about he's fighting the feeling to, to, to do something horrible and he, and he kills a stray cat. And he's not right. very proud of that, but he also was oppressed. And that means that he just, he couldn't control a lot of this. They needed to get out of there and they were still denying the fact that they needed to get out. I actually just did a uh, a course recently with uh, the Parapsychology Foundation and we were talking about this the idea of of place memory and and its influence on people that are receptive to psi that are that, that will move through these spaces where they they will pick up they are emotionally affected by things that either have gone on in the house, by uh, by previous fights that have gone on in the house. And, and we know like through that, you know, the history that you've done and um, just you know, what Deborah had reported about the, the fighting between both her and Tony about the, about the, the case and, and things like that, that, that there was a lot of heavy emotion that was really piled into that space. So I, I think when you've, you've got something where you, you or people that are, are coming through a home that are, you know, more receptive to that kind of a thing, it's that seems to be a, a, a pattern of, of people being able to pick up on this kind of a thing. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it's, I mean, my, my relationship with my husband is fine. You know, we've been married 40 years and we we're very strong and we did not bring emotion into the house. That was one of the yeah. things, you know, I told that's smart. We, one time we went up there, we would spend the night in town because it was 90 miles, you know, and we had a lot of friends up there. And so we would make, make the most of it. And, uh, one night, one time he ended up with food poisoning and he goes, I can come with you. And I was like, no, I said, just stay here with the friends. And this way you got someplace to throw up. <laughs> and, you know, cause there was no water in the Sally house. It's not like I could, you know, and you know, we always brought big jugs of water with us in case of something. And, uh, cause they didn't have, they had electricity, but they didn't have water and, but they had toilets. And I'm like, so basically again, shaking my head going, I don't know what in the world, but, um, we just didn't, I just didn't want him there. And because I told him, I said, you're weak right now. He goes, well, what about when you're weak? I said, when I'm weak, I said, I can still handle it. I said, I know what I can see and I know what I can do. I said, but you, you don't. And I said, I don't want to have you be attacked. I said, you've never been and let's leave it that way. And, you know, I started getting attacked pretty much that first year 
that we were wow. we were doing the volunteering. But the kind of attacks I was getting to start with was more like you're telling the truth. And it was like somebody was holding me there trying to get me to tell more, tell hmm. more of the story. Can you can, you know, please. It felt to me like Dr. Finney or his mother or his wife was like, come on, tell tell the truth. Somebody's got to tell the truth here. Family. The only I never found any drama with their family. I didn't find anything dark and disturbing. You know, the Finney, you know, Kate and MC met, you know, along the his road from Ireland to Atchison. You know, they had a baby that died and is buried over in St. Joe, Missouri, which is little, you know, back then maybe a, a day's ride on a wagon to get to St. Joe. Now it could be that too with the bad traffic, but, <laughs> but you know, it is what it is. And, you know, you go across, you know, their, their history and you go, well, yeah, they lost some children and, and things like that. And he wasn't, MC wasn't very old when he died and she was pregnant, you know, when he died. And then she lost, you know, you know, she lost a baby. He was, Richard was between 15 and 18 months old when he died. And, you know, when you talk about it, you know, they they don't realize how many people truly died in the house. There were, was there five? Let's see, one, two, three, four. Yeah, there were five deaths in the house and six and four funerals. Yeah, so a lot of heavy, heavy emotion mm-hmm. um, in, in within that house. And this is something that... You know, I I think we see as investigators quite a bit where, you know, whenever there is these these sort of heavy thought forms that are introduced into into a space, I've always found that the activity very much reflects that which 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 is there and where which has been there, uh, which is 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 really 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 interesting and it really speaks to I think the the mind matter interaction aspect of of this case as well because we've we've got situations where you know you've got a lot of focus on the 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 severe activity that's going on you've got fire setting and like you were saying stuff stuff being violently thrown across the room, attacks happening, all of this this kind of thing. And it's so difficult once that kind of thing starts happening to pull your attention from it. And and with what we know in parapsychology, any sort of attention that's going to something ends up escalating the something. And so it's 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 fascinating to go through this case just piece by piece as we're doing and seeing the multi-layers that have gone into creating the house as it is right now or did you notice as if there wasn't like if there was investigators or anything like that in the house um did you notice an increase in in activity that that was going on because i know like people were allowed to stay yeah and they, they still whatnot. are they're, they're still allowed to stay yeah um so if they were doing something that the spirits didn't like i was told by the spirits. Interesting. And there were many times that if I knew the team that was in there, I would contact them and they would go, how'd you know? We're not, we're not live. I know. And I said, I don't mean, I said, it's just, if you do this, you will more than likely get a lot more activity than if you don't. Oh, that's really interesting. And, and it happened a lot. Yeah, a lot of times in cases like this, I think, you know, the the stories get going, right? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the the risks of going public with 
with some of this stuff, which I know was a was a decision that they the the Pikmins had to face when they were they were experiencing this stuff. Um, and I think that's one of the things where, you know, and, and I mean, Mike, you and I are both, you know, pretty public, but like yeah. trying to when when you have to when you have to announce a story, it's like you're almost you're almost offering you're you're offering the public to give their interpretations and opinions, and it mm-hmm. almost becomes a bit of folklore. Right. And I know, like, Mike, you found that too. Yeah, yeah. Especially, you know, I, I cover cases on my true crime podcast with, you know, people who've passed away in, in really violent circumstances. So, uh, and some of them are unsolved. So uh, it, the opinions that, that people put forward on these cases tend to be, you know, really tinged with a lot of emotion. People will come down on one side or the other. And, and I find it's the same way in paranormal it it is, but again, you know, Doctor Doctor Finney, and then his son, and then his son, you know, his son is ended up, you know, going in the Navy and all this, and um, he had daughters, and his daughters are in different places around the country, and so it's now down to, you know, Doctor Finney's grandson's grandkids. They have no clue what's going on with all this. You know, I did send one of the daughters uh, a letter in the mail telling her, you know, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, this is part of your family tree. You might, you know, if you ever get a chance, you might want to contact the Atchison Chamber of Commerce and check it out. Um, But, you know, and she said, she goes, she goes, yeah, she goes, we don't believe in the paranormal. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Um, but I did end up meeting one of the, the great nephews of Dr. Finney. He came in the house on a tour one time and, and I looked at him and I knew right away that he was related, you know, and my husband goes, how do you know? And I go, I don't know. I said, but, you know, I asked the, you know, the kid came to me and he, he goes, yeah, my, my great uncle was this person. I was like, interesting you know i didn't go to him i waited for him to come to me but you know there's all kinds of weird things that you know like in my family you know my grandfather was a serial killer and i look at all this stuff differently than a lot of people and maybe because of that situation i don't want people assuming that because my family member was a bad person that I'm a bad person. And was that family member that was a serial killer always a bad person? No. Sometimes they're really nice people until you irritate them. (laughs) You know, it is what it is. Um, I was always treated like gold, but you know, you just never know um, what's going to happen in those situations. But I want people to, Basically, look at the situation. If it really, truly was this bad, how would how would Dr. Finney, who was elected mayor, okay, he was elected mayor by all the women in town. Because in Kansas, in 1913, women could vote in all elections except school board and federal. Don't know why not the school board, but <laughs> um, but they could vote. And he won the election. If he had been a bad doctor and let a child die, don't you think that the mother of that child would have been screaming from the rooftops, why would you make this guy mayor? He's a horrible doctor. You know, 
you 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 got to think about it from that standpoint you know because back then you know i was looking at the newspaper until he ran for mayor there was not a bad thing said about this guy it was always he saved this person or or he saved this person or you know um look at look at what he did um here you know the horses got away and he's he stopped these horses from running down the street or when he was in the city council this is they got sewers in that town because of him pushing sewers in the town so how come you have nothing bad to say about this guy until after after he runs for mayor like a lot of people definitely have that secret side to them i know mike you can talk about that with <laughs> the true crime stuff. Of course, where, you know, yeah. Oh yeah. I, I don't think we can necessarily establish that he's that he was that diverse person based on his his public persona. But at the same time, I think the question is broader than that. I, I think looking back at the phenomenon itself, um, to me, as someone who is a re parapsychology researcher, this doesn't speak to me as as being a human child to begin with. No. Um, so I, I think at the end of the day, I'm not even sure if, you know, if, you know, breaking apart the, the, the story of whether Finney was good, bad or ugly even really matters in terms of the, the entity itself. Like if, if people can sort of take the label and take the label off of it and then readjust, readjust their, their view, I think of, of what exactly this, this entity was, um, then, you know, maybe, maybe those rumors might be dispelled a little bit or you know might people might lay off of it but um they seem to be looking for a, a reason to uh, to to understand what was going on in the home and he seemed like he was the 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 target of of the folklore that was coming out but denise this has been awesome and uh, we so appreciate you uh coming on what are you up to talk about your contact information and and show and where can people listen so you can listen to me on, I have a show called The Paranormal Pride. It's on Monday nights on, uh, currently now it's on Rumble too. So we're on Rumble, YouTube, and Facebook uh, on the Bill of Rights Network as well. And so you can check that out. YouTube is probably the best place to go, to be honest. Mm. You know, look up The Paranormal Pride, not hard to find. Um, and from there, I'm also on another show on Tuesday nights called paranormal nation radio this came out before paranormal nation the show paranormal nation radio not so normal and uh do that every tuesday night and we just have a good time and it's all that matters anyway um getting ready to move to a new location physical location so i'm going to be learning all about pensacola florida interesting and what there is down there in one of the oldest cities in the country. I'm from Baltimore, so it's not going to be much different than living on the bay. I'll just have multiple bays to look at. <laughs> so That's not a bad problem to have. No. And alligators. And you know, alligators. <laughs> but you know what? Alligator tastes really good. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so I'm not too concerned. I think I'm more concerned about water moccasins. Ah, uh, yeah. Because yeah, I'm not going to sure. eat them. But yeah, I'm looking forward to some changes in my life, getting the heck out of Kansas from the winters that won't quit and uh, hanging out at the beach with my kids. I'm trying to find that haunted beach. You know, <laughs> there's got to be one somewhere that we can investigate. You know, there has to be. Yeah. Yeah. There's got to be. So that, and, and not in Tampa. I don't want to go to Tampa. <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, and for most people, I'll leave you guys with this one thought. 
the Sally House and the Velisca Axe Murder House have the same street address. Mm-hmm. Ooh, interesting. And I'm related to both of them in this case. <laughs> My husband's grand, our great uncle was the sheriff in the Velisca Axe Murders. Wow. Mm-hmm. Very fascinating. Thank you so, so much, Denise. So, thank you. Uh, Wow. What a crazy story. I mean, she had some interesting things to say, that's for sure. And what what do you think we learned from what went on there at the Sally House? This is a really great case for lessons. And that's the one Mm -hmm. thing I find about the paranormal in general is that it's more than just a scary story or an inspirational story. There's lessons that are within it. And this is one of those cases. You know, here, in my opinion, what I think has happened here is that you've got some sort of negative entity in the house, whether that be some sort of a thought form or something like that, Mm. which really played to the weaknesses of the people in the house like a fiddle. Um, You know, you've got a lot of deaths associated with this house and sometimes negative incidents, which could have been enough to start some kind of thought form in the place, can, can manifest in this way. And we can only really guess as to what Sally actually is. But I think that's my first inkling as to as to the cause. Now, the escalation is really interesting here because in in my opinion, I think they got some bad advice, which really allowed this case to escalate. Okay, You know, here we've got a situation where this entity was clearly not a child. Mm -hmm. uh, And this was an opinion shared by the original investigators on the case as well. And this is the tricky thing about some of these entities. They can be incredibly manipulative and really prey on things like mother's instinct, loneliness, you know, we're we're empathetic. Any good empathetic person is going to feel bad for, you know, a, 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 a sad story or anything like that, which, you know, as you know, especially in the true crime field is is really predatory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, you know, these things <laughs> look for people who are sort of in a down spot and vulnerable. So. Yeah. And what complicates matters like this and what we've discovered in parapsychology as well is that when we're kind of in that down spot, we're resonating with energies that are very similar to that vibration. And mm. I mean, we've talked about this on the show before sure. where, you know, where we are emotionally really kind of dictates what's going on in our experience because mm-hmm. psychokinesis applies to everything. And it's really hard to see something like, well, poor little Sally and, you know, not feel bad. But at the same time, we have to look at their behavior. It's lighting things on fire. It's abusing people. It's hitting, biting, scratching. You know, this is not the behavior of, you know, a a poor little five-year-old. So, and it's very hard when you're in that situation to not get duped by it. You know, once we're into a story, it's very hard to admit we've been fooled by something. So Mm. often people tend to really cling to that narrative because it's very, very hard to admit that we've been we've been fooled or duped by something that's that's like this. So to me, my my biggest lesson in in all cases like this, because there's there's many out there, is listen to your instinct when you're in a situation that doesn't feel right right back to the origin of it let's have a look at that a little bit um do you think this was uh a culmination of things that actually did happen in the house or is this the pickmans bringing 
something of themselves there, if you know what I mean. Like uh, you mentioned thought form or something like that. Uh, could it be something in the subconscious of the individuals living in the house that actually created this thing? All, hearkening all the way back to our first episode. Yeah, and this is such a great question because when we're talking about things like psychokinesis and these thought forms, these kind of thoughts that have become the thinker, where that line is drawn is really difficult to find out. And many people will say, well, you're blaming the people. Well, no, this isn't about blame. Blame implies fault, and that's simply not the case. Mm. But there is there is an element to these cases where we, our projections, what we're thinking, how we're thinking, it can end up kind of creating something in the environment that is that mirrors how we're we're either feeling about something or um, how our, or just our energy is in the space. So it's it's hard to know where that line is drawn. My gut feeling with this case is that it was something that was already there, mm. and when you've got a situation and and people who are coming out of emotional chaos as they as Deborah Pickman had stated in her book that she had gone through a rough time um her husband had a very negative expectation of the paranormal cuz he had some frightening experiences as well and when you kind of mix that type of thing in with an environment like this oftentimes you you'll get some kind of nasty results well there you go Interesting story, and I'm looking forward to our next case. And I guess people can uh, learn more about the Sally House uh, via our links that you will find in our show notes. Absolutely, and definitely encourage people to to do a deep dive on on these types of cases because there's not only lessons here for paranormal cases or somebody might have an aha moment about what's going on in their own house, but it's also a really great lesson for people moving forward with a, a person in their life or, you know, something that's just not clicking and you can't quite figure out what what's off mm-hmm. is just pay attention to that. We are wired for that for a reason. We, we have to listen to ourselves. Well, awesome. So thank you for joining us on this eerie expedition, dear listeners. And remember, the line between the natural and the supernatural is often a thin one. Until next time, stay curious, friends. Supernatural Circumstances is a co-production of Entity Seeker Paranormal Research and Teachings and Good Egg Studios. This podcast is part of the Curious Cast Podcast Network. Theme music by Corey Johnson of Catalyst Records in Edmonton, Alberta. You can learn about Morgan Knutson at EntitySeeker.ca and learn more about Mike Brown and listen to his show Dark Poutine at DarkPoutine.com. Feel free to email the show at SupernaturalCircumstances at gmail.com.